So this is actually my kid's bike helmet. Y'all ever gone through this with your kids, the whole biking thing? You've got to wear a helmet, right? It's important to wear a helmet. How many of you have had to fight with your kids to get them to wear their biking helmet? It's so frustrating, isn't it? You know, I had my, my oldest son, um, he was starting to where he refused to wear his helmet. And I caught him a couple of times not wearing his helmet. I said, you're not riding your bike again unless you wear your helmet. And then he had a friend who had, and I'm talking about bicycles, okay? We'll get into the motorcycle thing in a minute. But so my son saw his friend um, going down a hill. And, you know, have you ever seen that when somebody's going down a hill and you start seeing that front wheel start wobbling and you know it's just a matter of time? I know everybody, whoa, I heard that, see? And so he, he fell and he didn't have his helmet on. And luckily, I don't know about luckily, he didn't hurt his head, but he fell on his shoulder and separated his shoulder, had a pretty bad injury. And after that, I was like, I was watching my kids like a hawk. You're going to put your helmet on. But you know, my son, I think from the time he was like 13 or 14, he never rode his bike again, at least that I saw, because he wouldn't put his helmet on. He was just stubborn about, I will not put my helmet on. But y'all know that if you ride a bike, eventually you're going to need this, aren't you? You're going to have a fall. It may not be your fault. You may be a great bicycle rider or whatever, but somehow you're going to need that protection. And you would do well to protect yourself because what's, what's in here is I call the processor, right? And we need to protect the processor. And you don't want to get a, a head injury because if you get a head injury, it doesn't just affect your head, does it? It affects your whole body. It, it can affect your whole life. In baseball, we have to wear helmets too, you know? I got that too this morning, okay? I don't know if I'm going to put this whole thing on. I need a bigger one too. But you know, how about those Braves? They won the division. Anybody guess that? Yeah, that's right. Okay, but those guys, I, went, I got to go Friday night, and those guys, when they get up to bat, obvious reasons they want this. You got a 95-mile-an-hour fastball coming at you. You want to have some protection. And you all know some of them are starting to wear that strip right here because there's been a lot of guys in the last few years gotten their jaws broken. You know, when you're running the bases, somebody uncorking one from the outfield when you're running home, you want to have this on your, your head, you know. Uh, so that's important to have. So some of y'all are going, what in the world is he talking about all this? And I could go into motorcycles. Y'all ever remember a guy named Gary Busey? Yeah, you're laughing. You know why she's laughing? Because Gary Busey thought it was cool to not wear a helmet riding a motorcycle until Gary Busey had an accident and hit his head up against the curb when he you know, finally stopped sliding across the asphalt. And he'll tell you now, you need to wear a helmet. And I remember watching the Daytona 500 one year. Even a lot of y'all remember this. I don't remember the exact year, but I remember seeing a crash with Dale Earnhardt, and I thought, well, he'll be okay. But he died in that crash. And Dale Earnhardt was asked over and over again to wear this special helmet that would you know, uh, keep you in an accident. He didn't want to do it, and it probably would have saved his life. A lot of people said and in football, it's obvious that they wear helmets. That's, that's obvious. The other night I was at the Northgate game, not this past week, the week before that, and this same kid who was great athlete, great on defense, that joker's helmet came off four times in the game. And every time, according to the rules, if your helmet comes off, you have to go out of the game. You can't play the next play till they get that adjusted so your helmet doesn't come off again. But I saw it come off four times. And I thought, man, he's lucky. You know, that he didn't get hit again while he had his, had his helmet off. But in the last few years, that's been a big deal in football, isn't it? It's that, you know, we wear helmets and there's been all this thing about uh, concussions. And if somebody gets hit pretty hard and they're, you know, they're changing the rules around and it's kind of crazy. But, you know, uh, people get hit real hard and they kind of walk off the field kind of goofy and they go in that tent. Y'all have watched it. And they go, probably the next week, they go into con concussion protocol. Because as technology has... 
expanded and we've been able to do things like CAT scans and all these different scans on the brain, they're finding out that very invisible to us is that things were happening to the brain. Well, you just had a concussion, you're out for a few days, you're out for a week, you go under protocol, you'll be okay, and you can go back in there next. But what we're finding is that some of these guys, after years and years of that kind of impact on their brain, nobody could see this going on inside their head, but it was, wasn't it? And some of them it was causing not only pain, physical pain, but it was causing a lot of mental. There's been a lot of um, connection between suicides after the fact in these things, and it's been kind of scary. And we've also discovered that some of those symptoms that are damaging don't show up for years and years, but later. So it's important to have helmets, and they're trying to change the technology. So a question for us today is, knowing what we know about protection that is available for these things, why is it? that so many of us either deny or overlook or fail to protect themselves from the things they need to protect themselves from. Why is that? You ever wonder that? I mean, my son, he just wanted to be cool. He didn't like his... I bought him like three different uh, cool helmets to wear on his bike, but he just didn't want to wear them. He just thought that didn't look cool at the time. Interestingly enough, he just finished 10 weeks of basic training in the Army, and I saw some of his pictures, and guess what he was wearing? (laughs) That's exactly right. I don't think that argument with his commanding officer even happened. I think he just wore that helmet and realized, yeah, this is something I'm going to need uh, going forward now. But you think about it. There's, there's people who are ignorant of safety. There's people who are just stubborn. There's some people that don't want to do it for money, for fame, for popularity, for power, for appearance. A lot of times, all those things I just mentioned, they trump safety, don't they? I'd rather have those things than be safe. I'll take the risk because I want those things. And this applies to all people, but sometimes, sometimes I think it maybe applies to people that are younger in some ways. There's so many people trying to tell you things when you're young to protect you. Is that not true, young people? They're always trying to tell us. I know, Mama. I know, Dad. I know. Your teachers, your coaches, all these different people. And they're telling you that, y'all, because they love you. They're telling you that because they have been in situations where they did dumb things and they don't want you to experience the hurt and the dumb things that you had to experience because you wouldn't listen and protect yourself. But it's hard. There's so many people trying to tell that. And you hear these things, and some of them you hear, and sometimes you believe it and you trust it, and you do those things and you protect yourselves. But sometimes you hear, but you're not sure you believe. You're not sure you trust if that's really necessary. So you ignore it and you move on. Well, why? Well, sometimes it's simply a lack of information, a lack of knowledge. You just kind of heard it, but you said, I don't know, I need to study that more, I'll think about it. But you just move on. But sometimes there's another reason. And we've all been guilty of this. The reason a lot of times we don't heed to safety and a lot of things that we do in life is because we don't really think that certain things are ever going to happen to me. Is that not true? It's not going to happen to me. I'm not going to have a bike wreck. I'm not going to have a car wreck. I'm not going to have this experience. I'm not going to have that. So I'll take the risk. That's cumbersome. That helmet is cumbersome. That, that thing, whatever it is, I, I, I know I should, but it's not going to happen to me. It will happen to somebody else. So why worry about it? Why think about it? Why protect myself if I really don't think it's going to happen to me? And we hear all these possibilities of dangers that can come to us, and protection is important. But what we have to decide in life, y'all, is this. What's critical and what is not? What is critical to protect myself from and what is just kind of optional? And that's something we all have to decide for ourselves. Um, Do you really need that? How about in insurance? There's all kinds of insurance in there. 
And insurance companies will try to sell you every time of insurance. They'll try to scare you to death and say, hey, you need this. You never know what happened. You need to go ahead and add that. And we add things to our policies. Now, do you really need all of that? Or are insurance companies just trying to make money? Well, I can assure you they're trying to make money. That's their job. They want to make money. But ultimately, sometimes we have to make a decision on things based on what we believe right now, but also what I believe about the future. And we make decisions based on that. What are the chances of a hurricane hitting here in our neighborhood and flooding our neighborhood? That hasn't happened in years. That'll never happen. You think anybody in North and South Carolina thought about that a few years ago when they were saying, I'm going to get that flood insurance or not get that flood insurance? We've all been in these situations. Well, we've been continuing this sermon series called Invisible World, and we've been talking about there is an invisible world all around us, and we kind of act like that's kind of weird. We're talking about the spiritual nature of things. But in reality, like I talked about that brain thing, there's things going on in people's brains that we can't see, but it's in reality happening. And there's a reality in this spiritual world that's around us too. And we've been talking about the Apostle Paul who wrote a lot of the letters that we read in the New Testament. And Paul visited a place called Ephesus in that first century. He was taking them the good news of Jesus that had transformed his life, and he wanted to share it with other people. And he stayed there at least two years that we know about, sharing this good news of Jesus Christ and that transforming power. And he would later write a letter to those people after he left, checking on them and reminding them of some of the truths that they had committed to when they says, Paul, I hear what you're saying. I see how it's transformed your life. I want to be a follower of Jesus. And they started going on that, on that track. But along the way, they have some things. And so Paul writes back to them and tells them, say, hey, you guys need to be aware. There's this invisible world, this invisible spiritual world that's going on around you. And so we've been looking specifically at chapter 6, where Paul has this admonition to put on the full armor of God. You're going to need it. You're going to need it because you're fighting a spiritual battle. And Paul says it like this, your battle in life for all of you, and he was talking specifically, y'all, to the first century church, but I'm telling you, in the 21st century, it is still true. There is an invisible battle that's going on within all of us all the time, and we too need to put on uh, the spiritual uh, bad armor of God. He says it's not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So in reality, there is and is an invisible world that's battling for my soul and your soul, for my heart and your heart, and for my mind and your mind. So we've been looking at the various pieces of armor that Paul tells us we need to put on, and he's using a Roman soldier that a lot of them saw in that particular time of where they'd see him walking down the street every day. And when he talked about the you know, the breastplate, and he talked about uh, um, the sandals that were on their feet and all the different things we've been going through. People saw that and go, yeah, I see that's protection for that soldier. I see why he wears that. That makes sense to me. But he's saying, as long as that makes sense physically, I want you to look in the spiritual. And sometimes there's a little bit of a disconnect. But when we think of this week's, it's, he says, put on the helmet of salvation, and we understand the need for a helmet. All those different sports I talked about. We talked about folks in the army and different people. I know when this building was going up, Mike can tell you every time we came in here to every stage of it, you could not walk in here and on this grounds of this place unless you had what a hard hat on. We knew there was danger. There was a possibility of something that could fall, or we'd bump our heads on something, and we had to wear a hard hat. And so we did that. We complied with that. We understood. Well, why does Paul use this connection with salvation and this helmet talking about our head? 
Well, I used processor a minute ago to talk about our brain. I know most of y'all probably caught that. And I talk about Paul is connecting our brain, our thinking, how we process things every day to our salvation. In order for us to fully grasp what salvation means through Jesus Christ, we must have a crystal clear understanding of what that means and what that salvation really is to protect our thinking and the way we do things. And that salvation is vitally important to protect us because it allows us to process how we live, how we choose to live every day and the decisions that we make. And, and that is serious, y'all. What you believe about Jesus Christ and what He did on that cross and what He did as far as His resurrection, it does make a huge impact on what you think every day and how you behave every day. What we do with that. And so we choose either, and we've been talking about this as well, we choose to say, I'm going to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's God's character that lives in me and acts in me every day in the choices that I make and the things that I do. Allowing God to meet my needs, recognizing my need for God every day. That's living in the Spirit, and we try to do that. But there's also times where I get sidetracked and I start living in the flesh. My own self-centered human character. And I can make that decision. I don't really need to refer to God on that. I'm good with this. I don't really need that protection. I can handle this. I'll take a risk on it. And we try to get our needs met apart from God and say, I can do it myself. And we kind of leave Him out. And that's living in the flesh. So why is this connected to our head, our brain, our processor? Because we think and believe what we think and believe about salvation, that saving work of Jesus Christ on um, the cross, through His life, what He taught, how He lived, through His death, through His resurrection. That drives every day how I believe and what I think and what I do. And it is a process. If you really believe that Jesus was physically here on earth as God in the flesh, and He really was physically crucified on a cross and shed real blood and physically really died. If you really believe that, and you believe that three days later He really resurrected from the dead, and now that you, because of what He did on that cross, your sins are forgiven, and because He came out of that grave, you have eternal life, and that is for everybody throughout all of history. If you really believe that, then that has to have an impact on your life. It has to affect how you live every day, how you treat people, the things you do, the work you do, how you do your work, how you see the world. It has to have an effect on you. Now, if it doesn't impact you, it means you really don't know that story. And you need to know that story. Or either that you know that story, but you don't believe that for whatever reason. And I get that. There's reasons we don't believe things. Everybody didn't grow up in the church and hear that all the time every Sunday. But it's the truth and you need to know it. Or you don't care about that. Or you're processing that truth. And I believe without a shadow of a doubt that the reason the church is so important that there's people all over. A lot of you today are sitting there and you're listening to what I say and some of you are saying, yeah, I believe that and it has changed my life and it's transformed me. But others of you have said, I hear you. I know people who say they're Christians and they don't live like that. They live more by the flesh than they do by the Spirit. And I'm, I'm trying to process all this. I know I need to make a decision, but I'm trying to process this, and that's okay. We have a God that's patient with us. He wants us to process this. He wants us to know the truth. And everybody's in a different place with that, aren't they? But the goal that Jesus set for us is that when you do experience that, it changes your life. It has to change your life. And because your life has changed, other people see that, and then they want to change their life. That's how Jesus set up this thing called the church. He left. 
He resurrected and then He ascended. And He said, now it's your job to carry this on for me. But you've got to protect your head, your processor. It's critical in accepting or rejecting that truth. Listen to what Paul wrote to a group of Jesus followers in another place, another of his letters in Rome. He said this, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your music genre. Be transformed by the renewing of your 401k. Be transformed by the renewing of your body through joining the gym or or doing CrossFit like Kevin teaches. By the renewing of your relationships. By the renewing of your homeowner's policy or your health insurance policy. It's not what he says, is it? He says renew what? Your mind. All those things are important and we need to look at those. And yeah, we need to transform our bodies sometimes. And sometimes we need to transform uh, and take a look at our 401k and we need to take a look at our homeowner's policy. All those things are important. But he's saying you need to constantly be aware that you cannot be transformed unless you stop conforming to the world and let God transform your minds. Paul was in a culture, y'all, in this place called Ephesus. And it was a a port city, had a lot of world travelers, people coming in from all over the world, trading and getting things and going out and bringing things in and taking things back to where they were and coming in. And they brought all kinds of ideas. Historically, there were different lifestyles introduced, different religions, different, (coughs) excuse me, different faiths. And we know historically there was a a strong influence in this place called Ephesus of the occult and sorcery there. There was also a pagan temple where a lot of them worshipped And it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And it was the uh, temple of the goddess Artemis. And that was worshipped there. People all over the world would come to worship in that temple and worship Artemis. And they would pay and they would even make offerings there to this great goddess called Artemis. And the hope was that if I make offerings, if I come and make an appearance here in this temple and I make an offering to this goddess Artemis, maybe I'll get some good luck or good fortune for my business or for my life. It was a huge, huge moneymaker. And when Paul first visited the city, he caused a huge uproar about it because basically he was saying, you know what, you guys are worshiping this occult, you're worshiping this sorcery stuff, you're worshiping this, this, in this temple and this goddess, and it's not real. It's not true. Well, the guys that were making a lot of money on they didn't want to hear that, did they? He caused a, a huge uproar there. But in Acts 19, and this is where we learn about this, I want to read a little bit from Acts 19. And Acts tells about what happened right after Jesus' resurrection, how the world started being transformed by people who believed that and changed the way they thought and started acting differently. Listen to what Paul, uh, listen to what Paul says. Jesus Christ was introduced into this dark culture of, 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 of sorcery and bondage there. And uh, Paul it says, Paul, I'm going to start reading in verse 8. So Paul entered the synagogue, and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. Happens in our culture. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way, talking about Christianity. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannius. And it went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. That was his goal. He goes, y'all need to hear this. It transformed me. And God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Listen to that. God did, not Paul, but God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. 
This was a reality of what was going on. Some Jews who went around driving out. I, I, I want you all to listen carefully. This is an interesting story. And I told my daughter today, have you ever heard this story? She goes, no. And I read it to her and she started laughing. And you're going to laugh too. So some Jews went around driving out evil spirits, tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And what I read is, is that this guy really wasn't a, a high priest or wasn't a really actually a, a chief priest. He just was saying to people that he was. He says, and one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them, and he gave them such a beating that they all ran out of the house naked and bleeding. See, I told you you'd laugh. My, and my daughter goes, that's in the Bible? And I said, it is. That was the reality of what was going on. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls and burned them publicly, and when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas, which, you know, somebody that got paid a drachma a day, that was, that was a lot, a lot of money. And this way, the, world, the, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Oh, Craig, what in the world? Why are you telling us that? Because I'm telling you, this is the reality of the, of the world that Paul was living in. So when he's talking about this spiritual battle, he was not kidding. And you say, well, we don't have a temple of Artemis here. We don't have that kind of stuff. But y'all know that you believe that there's things that are vying for my attention every single day. Is it not true? Now, I love to go to the Braves game, but they are masters at getting your attention there. If you're not a baseball fan at all, it drives me crazy. You know, during the game, I'm, I'm, I just want to watch the game. And they came back Friday night, and it was awesome. That was enough for me. But my goodness, I had to watch the tool race. I had to watch the hug cam, the kiss cam, and the shuffling of the cap thing. Y'all know all that stuff that goes on during the game? And, you know, T-shirts being shot at me between innings? But it gets people's attention, doesn't it? It gets people that have no idea what's going on at the baseball game there and enjoying it. And then afterwards, they had to entertain me further with fireworks because the baseball game was not enough. So we know when you watch the Falcons today or whoever your team is today, during those commercials, somebody is trying to get inside your mind and make you believe that you need to buy this. Is that not true? So we need to be aware of that. I'm not saying it's evil to buy a new Lexus. And that's not what I'm saying. But be aware that that's what they're trying to get you to do. And if you're really a good parent, that's what you'll buy to keep your cars, your kids safe. So we need to be aware of this. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So while this talk of spiritual warfare may be weird, Paul was experiencing this, and he saw it. And he was sharing the good news that Jesus Christ can take you out of that bondage to the occult, to the sorcery, and a false goddess and teach you the truth. He was offering them through Christ the way, the truth, and the life that they may be set free and transformed, and many were. And that is exactly what we're looking at this today. I believe that many of us are in bondage to things. I don't need to name them all. You know what maybe is, is grabbing your attention and grabbing your mindset every day and maybe taking you away from God. In this invisible world of evil that is truly trying to deceive us to believe that God's not real, that God's not really who He said He is. He just wants to manipulate you. He wants to try, they, the devil wants to try to convince us that we can be God, just like He did in the Garden of Eden. You can't trust God. You can be God. You can earn your way. You can earn your own salvation by your own merit, by your own accomplishments of life. You don't need all this death and dying and resurrection. You can do it yourself. You're a good person. You ever hear stuff like this? 
We hear it. And that's a lie. It's an old one that continues to be perpetuated. You can be good enough and earn your way to heaven. And let me tell you something. If we could earn our way to heaven, Jesus never needed to come to earth. He never needed to go to the cross. And He never needed to resurrect from the dead. But you know what, y'all? We needed all of that. We needed Him to show us how to live. We needed Him to die for our sins. And we needed Him to defeat death because we can't. Clear and simple. The Nazi minister of propaganda during World War II, Joseph Goebbels, said this, if you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. And when people keep telling you, you don't need God, you don't need Jesus, you can do it on your own, keep saying it over and over again and reading stuff on the internet that tells you that kind of stuff, there's plenty of people out there that are saying that, y'all. You start to believe it. And that's why we need to protect our head with the helmet of salvation. Our brain, our thinking process, needs protection from all these, these empty deceptions out there that will ultimately leave us lonely and hopeless in the end. We must realize that we need to be saved, and we can't do that on our own. We need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is telling us about. Listen to Acts 4 as Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. He wasn't a, he wasn't a, a, a real... Um, schooled man. He was a fisherman. But listen to what happened after Jesus left and he had the opportunity to share the power of Christ and he got arrested for healing a man. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And a man did. And soon after that, the officials arrested him. You can't be doing that. You can't be healing a man in the name of Jesus. You're stirring up trouble. And this is what Peter said. It says, filled with the Holy Spirit. This is from chapter 4 of Acts. He said, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He wasn't taking the credit. He was pointing to, to God. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Listen to this carefully. This is about salvation. You need to get this in your head. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And you know what, y'all? We need to get it in our heads how powerful that salvation is and how it transforms our lives and we when we choose to accept that and embrace that and allow that salvation to transform the way I live and live authentically by Jesus I believe people will be astonished at what God does in my life and your life and you know what they're going to notice that person's been with Jesus I want some of that that person is obviously with Jesus and I want to be a part of that so will you put on the helmet of salvation today? And I know everybody's in a process. A lot of y'all are thinking you're trying to process that, but you need to have it. Are you going to keep risking a traumatic head injury that will affect your head forever? Are you going to keep riding through life or, or playing the game without your head being protected by the free gift of salvation? We all get in the same way. Everybody has access to that salvation. How more fair can it be? So this morning, I'm going to offer an opportunity for you to accept Christ and put on that helmet of salvation. I'm excited today, y'all, because we have three young people who are coming forward, and at their young age are saying, you know what, I want some of that right now. I want my head to be protected. I realize that right now as a young person, I want Jesus to protect me. I want my mind to be right as I go through life. And I've trusted the people around me, my parents. 
I've trusted the people at the church, people who love me and have introduced me to Jesus Christ, and they're ready to put on that helmet of salvation day. And we're going to do that, and we're going to baptize them in just a minute, and I'm really excited about that. And there's a couple of families who are coming and saying, I want to be a part of a church that says we need the salvation of Christ. And I need to hear, I need to protect, I need to be transformed. I need to stop conforming to the world. And I need to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And y'all, that's why it's important for us to be the church. Not just hearing God's Word, but hearing the, the words we heard in those songs. That tells us who we need, a Savior.